Jordan, I just want to say, brother, I have utmost respect for you. I'm incredibly proud of you. Just to be willing just to open up and share about your life with us and what God is, is doing in your life. Uh, what, yeah, what a powerful thing. Thank you for sharing with us. 180, how are we doing tonight? We doing all right? We doing all right? All right. Well, uh, my name's Nick, and uh, I'm on staff here with Crew, graduated from Ohio University, and um, just want to welcome you all again. Uh, I realize maybe some of you, you're here for the first time tonight, and I just want to acknowledge this is, we're a mixed room, um, and what I mean by that is that's, that's true on a many levels, but what I want to acknowledge is that um, you would have people in this room, there are people here that would identify as Christians, and there are those who would not, and that is exactly what we want to have happen. We want 180 to be a place that wherever you're at personally, whether this, this is your first time coming out to crew or, or doing anything like this, we, would, we just so desire for you to be able to have an on-ramp and, and connect with what's happening here. For this to be a place to ask questions, to learn, to be challenged, that's so what we want. And so thank you uh, for being here with us tonight. Um, and so acknowledging that this is a mixed room, we're, we're starting a new series tonight called Encounters with Jesus. And we're going to look at a passage in the Bible, um, where we're going to see this scene that takes place where Jesus is sitting in a room with what, what the text tells us are sinners, and also he's sitting in the room not only with sinners, but with people that are called religious uh, teachers. Um, and so, so you couldn't have a more uh, stratified room. On one end, you have your sinners, and then the other hand, you have your religious teachers. But before we get into this text, um, I, I have to share with you guys uh, the best part about me, because I didn't, when I was up here a few weeks ago, I didn't get to talk about the best part about me. And that best part about me, of course, is, is my bride, Amy. Uh, this is my wife, all right? And so I just want to introduce her to you. She's amazing. She's a bobcat as well. Uh, tell you a little bit about us. Um, Amy and I, we, we love The Office. You guys get that reference right there? So uh, Amy and I, man, we, we, uh, we love a lot of things, but boy, we love The Office. And so this was Amy's birthday. We threw her a surprise birthday party. The whole staff team uh, came together and participated. We gave away dundies at... At the, uh, at the birthday party. I'm so sorry. For those of you who don't know The Office, you're missing out. So um, we not only love The Office, um, Amy and I got into boosted boarding like this, this summer. Yeah, that's right. We ride electronic skateboards. You better believe it, okay? Yeah, and we feel good about it. So that's fun. We like that. Um, and then this is Amy and I on our wedding day. Now, yes, that's right. <laughs> that's, that's the whole reason I did this, okay? Just to get that, no. Um, this is Amy and I on our wedding day, and, and the reason I'm sharing these pictures and sharing about Amy with you is, um, is because it connects to what we're going to talk with tonight. When Amy and I, we, we were coming back from our honeymoon, uh, we were unpacking our bags, and as we were unpacking our suitcase, um, noticed that uh, things were not in there in the way that we had placed them in there. In, in fact, Amy found her jewelry box had been absolutely ripped open and destroyed. Come to find out that there's several pieces of jewelry that belonged to her that were missing. And one in particular was incredibly important to Amy. She's actually wearing it on her right hand in this picture. You can barely see it, but it's a ring. And it was a ring that Amy's grandmother had given her when Amy was really young. And so we just start pulling out all the clothes. We're shaking out everything, just hoping maybe it just got tossed around in the suitcase. But it wasn't there. It was gone. And my wife was heartbroken. Uh, just a few days just into our marriage, and she just broke down and cried. Just bawled. Now, the question I want to ask is, why? 
why did my wife respond that way? And the answer, of course, is obvious. It's that 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 ring was precious to my wife. It, It held great meaning to her. And in the passage that we're going to look at tonight, Jesus is going to teach a parable. And to kind of give you an idea of what a parable is, a parable is a type of metaphor, often told in the form of a story that conveys a spiritual reality that calls forth a response from the listeners. So it's a story, it's a metaphor that talks about spiritual truths that calls forth a response from those of us who are listening. And so through this parable that Jesus is going to teach in this passage, Jesus is going to teach us about what is precious to God. In the way that this ring was precious to my wife, what is it that God finds precious? And how far is God willing to go and find it when it's lost? So that's where we're going to go. Um, So if you got a Bible, go ahead and turn it open to Luke 15. If you don't got one, don't worry. We got you covered on the screens up here. But Luke 15, um, and we're going we're gonna to cover some, some heavy ground here, all right? So we'll start right in verse 1, all right? So here we go. Luke writes, Now the tax collectors, a.k.a. the bad people, um, and sinners, more bad people, um, are drawing, were drawing near to him, Jesus. And the Pharisees, the very religious people, and the scribes, more religious people, Uh, they grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he, Jesus, told them this parable. Jump down to verse 11. We'll come back to the other verses later. But jump down to verse 11. And he said, Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now, the older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called to one of the servants and asked asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. 
His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you, I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who had devoured property with, with your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let me pray for our time. Father, I pray that you would meet with each of us right here and right now. Lord, I know that you desire to speak to each of us wherever we're at. And so, Father, I would ask that you would, you would speak through this passage that Jesus tells here, this parable, and that it would connect with each of our hearts with where we are. Lord, I pray that you would, you would fill me. Holy Spirit, help me uh, to be helpful to my friends here. And I pray that by the end of our time together, that, you, that each one of us would have a clear picture of who you are and what you've done and how we should respond. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So... Let's, start at the, let's give some context here, because if we're going to understand this passage, we need to understand why did Jesus begin to tell this parable? Like, what, what was happening that caused him to start telling this story? So here's the context that we're given right here in this passage, is it talks about how there are two groups of people in the room. It, it says the tax collectors and sinners. That's who's in the first group. Now, when we think about these people, these would be people that were living wildly open, sinful lives. Like, they were publicly sinful. Uh, they were not moral, morally upright people, right? These would have been, uh, yeah, publicly bad people. In the second category, we're told that there are Pharisees and tax collectors. These, uh, these are represented by the elder brother in the story, whereas the uh, sinful, you know, people that are in the room, they're represented by the younger brother in the story that Jesus told. And so these elder brothers, um, these would have been people who were religious, incredibly moral. Um, these would have been people that went to church every Sunday. They probably had their brand spanking new Christian t-shirt fresh from the Christian bookstore. No doubt their favorite movie was probably God's Not Dead. And um, of course, the only radio station they listen to is the Christian radio station, uh, because what else is there to listen to? Um, and so uh, these are those guys. They would have been the guys like on Instagram, like, let me open up my Bible. Look what I read today. Like my cup of coffee. Like I did it. Did you see world what I did today? Um, that's these guys. Okay. And so in this, in this scene, we're told that the tax collectors and sinners, they wanted to be near Jesus and Jesus wanted to be near them. And so, if you can picture this scene, I just picture, what would this look like? The, th the scene that comes to mind for me is like, we go down to East State Street, we walk into Applebee's, and Jesus is sitting there with some nachos, with uh, some of the girls from the local strip bar, and some corrupt businessmen. And we walk into the room, and you're like, Jesus, you know you're like... With, but that's where he is. That's where Jesus wants to be, okay? And at the, at the table nearby are a bunch of pompous religious people just peeved off that how dare Jesus, the rabbi, the spiritual guy, sit with all these people who are the furthest thing from spiritual. But that's where we find Jesus. And so this angered them. The critique that, that they give is they said, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And it's a bit different in our culture, but in that culture, to sit and share a meal with someone is a public way of saying, I accept you as a person. 
I receive you. And they're losing their minds about this. Now, Jesus, this is what prompts him to start telling the story about a father and his two sons. And here's the question I want to ask you. To which group, the sinners or the religious people, to which group is Jesus telling this story to? He's often, this story is often called the story of the prodigal son, referring to the younger brother. But Jesus is not telling the story to the younger brothers in the story. He's telling it to the, to the religious people. He's telling it to the elder brother of the story. That's who Jesus is telling this story to, the ones who are grumbling against him. And so the story that Jesus tells is a story where the father in the story represents God. The younger brother represents sinners, and the elder brother represents religious people, okay? So, so let's, let's dive into this story just a little bit, okay? And as, as we read this story, here's the question each of you are invited to ask. Which brother am I? Which brother am I? That's the question we're all invited to ask. And so just to recap some of this story, Jesus begins to tell us about a man who had two sons. And the younger of these two sons comes to him and he says, Father, what will be mine when you die? I want that today. Now, in that culture, um, that would have been grounds for that father to say, I disown you. We're no longer father and son no more. You're gone. You're done. I mean, think about this for a moment. Even today, if you went to your parents and said, hey, mom and dad, or whoever, whatever family member, when you die, what will be mine? I want that now. <laughs> like, I don't know about your parents, but I, I can just only, I just picture my dad and just being like, get out of here, man. I mean, this, ridic this is a ridiculous request. It's an incredibly offensive request because it's pretty much the son saying, father, I just want what you have I don't care about you. I want nothing to do with you. You're dead to me already. Just give me what's mine. But the father does not disown the son in this scene. That's not what happens. He actually grants the son's request. And this goes on to show us that when we want to run from God, God will let us run. That's some of what we learn from this. And so the story goes on to tell us that this son squanders his property. He squanders it in reckless living, pursuing what he believes will bring him joy, only to find misery and poverty. In fact, the younger brother, he becomes so desperate that he has to seek employment. And did you pick up where he, sought, where he ended up getting employment from? An animal farm. Feeding pigs. Now, I realize none of us would probably really want that job, um, but for someone who was a Jew, which, as this story is being told, that's what's, that's what's uh, likely this character would have been, is a Jewish person, a pig was, a, was an animal that they believe makes them spiritually unclean. So for a Jew hearing this, this is the, the worst job on planet Earth that one could have, is that you got to hang with spiritually unclean, dirty animals all day. Like, this was a huge deal to them. And so it tells us in this passage that the guy is so hungry, so malnourished, he, has, he finds himself watching the pigs eat, and he wants what they eat. Like, that's how desperate this guy is, and yet he gets nothing. And so he acknowledges how miserable he is. And he resolves to go back to his father. And I don't know if you picked up on how he begins to do it, but he begins, he begins to rehearse this speech. He says, okay, I know I'm no longer worthy to be my father's son, but I'll, I'll tell him I'll go be a hired servant. 
I'll go be like that, which in that culture would have been actually lower than a slave was. A hired servant was lower than a slave. He's acknowledging he's not even worthy to be a slave. He has to be a hired servant. And so the son's request shows that he wants to be as minimal of a burden as possible. He's literally just throwing himself at the mercy of his father, knowing that he deserves nothing. That's a great picture for us of what repentance is. It's this, I'm going to turn to the Father, and I have no claim on anything. That's what repentance is, trusting and leaning on the mercy and provision of God. But here's what's beautiful, is the Father, it says, the Father saw the Son at a long way off, and the brother ran. Like, picked up that toga or whatever the, whatever the guy was rocking, straight up, you know, I just high knees just running towards his son. Now, again, I keep trying to tell you these cultural things because to us, we're like, oh, cool, like the older dude ran. Brothers in that day and age don't buck out running, okay? They don't do that. It was like not cool to do. I don't know how to explain it other than that. Not cool, not cool. But he breaks all protocol. He runs and runs towards his son, and it says that he felt compassion, and he hugged him. Now, Gosh, that word's really weak. Because, I mean, it wasn't like, when, it, when I looked at this word in the actual original language, it wasn't like side hug, like, hey, son, like, hey, buddy. You know, the, the translation is actually that the father fell on his neck. You picture that? Just this, whoo, like, like, swallow you whole hug. And that's the father's attitude to seeing his son is that the father, it's not like the father's standing there at a distance saying, yeah, come on, right? He bucks toward, I don't know why I'm using the word buck, but the guy bolts towards the son, okay? I've never said that word. You, when you have a microphone on, weird words come out, okay? So check this out. The father begins to start, or the son starts to rehearse his speech. The father's not even paying attention to what the guy says. He doesn't care. What the father does is he begins to say, clothe him, adorn him, bring out the best robe, bring all of these things out, bring them back. My son is back in this robe that he calls to have brought for his son. This would have been some of the best formal attire that the father had that he wanted to see put on his son. And then he calls for a ring to be put on his son's finger, which that ring would have probably had the signet or the family crest on it to signify that he's part of the family. He calls for sandals to be put on his son's feet because it just gives us an idea of how destitute the son was. Then he calls for the fattened calf. And some of y'all are like, what the heck? Like, fattened calf? Think honey-baked ham, okay? Think fried chicken, like mama's special tamales, like whatever it is, like the one time a year, like this is the meal. That's what the guy is calling to have brought out. This is a day of celebration. This is a holiday. This is the best day. And so the father regained what was lost. And so the father's statement is so accurate. He says that his son was lost and now is found. And so here's what that means, friends, is that this is what God is like. Jesus is telling us what God the Father is like. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, if you have this idea of Christianity, says that Christianity is about trying harder, doing better, become a good person, you go to heaven, I assure you that is not what's in this book. You've heard a cheap version of Christianity. 
If you're a Christian, God the Father invites you to return to him. Wherever you are, whatever you've done, wherever you're at, whatever questions you have, it's this call to return. And he will meet you. He will receive you. He will welcome you no matter what. Now, that's the one brother. We get another brother in this story. Oh, there's the younger brother. The elder brother. So as all of this is going on, this party's happening, it tells us that the elder brother overheard this celebration, not understanding what's going on. Did you pick up what emotion the elder brother felt? What was it? Anger. Outrage. He is angry and refuses to celebrate. His response could not be any further or different from the response of the father, could it? And so the father leaves the celebration, the story tells us, but Jesus tells us in the parable. He leaves the celebration, tries to persuade this angry son to come in and join the celebration, and the elder son responds by saying, look, look, he says, all these years I've served you, I did all the right things. I played by the rules. I didn't go have sex outside of marriage. I went to church. I did Bible study. I was a good person. I never hurt anyone. I tried to do the right thing. And then the elder brother even says, this son of yours, he doesn't even acknowledge his own brother. This son of yours, he says, your son who went and took your property and used it with prostitutes, which is an interesting fact because Jesus doesn't tell us that, he, that the, elder, or the younger brother did that, but somehow the elder brother knew. You're throwing a party for him? And so the brother is outraged, and yet the, once again, the father responds with compassion and says, son, you are with me always. All that's mine is yours. It's fitting for us to celebrate and be glad because your brother was dead and is alive. He's lost, and now he's found. Now, we skipped over a few verses in this chapter. In, in Luke 15, Jesus actually tells three parables, and we just talked about the third one. We don't have enough time to look at all of them, but let me give you a quick rundown of what happens in them. In the first one, in the first parable, Jesus says, which of you, if you had a hundred sheep and you lost one of them, would you not go out and leave the 99 and go try to find the one. And then once you found it, wouldn't you bring it home and call together all of your friends and you would celebrate? You would say, rejoice, I found my lost sheep. And just so, Jesus says, I tell you, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. Then he tells another one. He says, which of you... If you had 10 silver coins, if you lost one of them, would you not turn over the whole house looking for that one coin until you found it? And when you find it, would you not call together your friends and your neighbors and say, rejoice with me, I found the coin that was lost? And so the similarities between these three parables are obvious, aren't they? Think about it. What happens? A lost sheep. Someone goes looking for the lost sheep. It's found. Party time. There's a lost coin. Someone goes looking for it. It's found. Party time. <laughs> and so by the time we come to this third story, we're seeing the pattern. A son is lost. No one goes looking for him. There's a striking difference 
We expect that someone will go out and search for this lost son, but it doesn't happen. And Jesus is drawing our attention to this, and he's inviting us as his listeners to ask this question, who should have gone out looking for this lost son? Who should it have been? It should have been the elder brother. This is what a true elder brother would have done. That the elder brother should have gone to his father and said, Father, my younger brother has been a fool. He's destroying his life. I'm going to go find, with, find him and plead with him to come home. I'll do it even at the cost of waste, investing my own inheritance to go try to find him and bring him back. But in this story that Jesus tells, the younger brother gets a self-righteous Pharisee for a brother. He gets a religious knick-knack brother. And as Pastor Tim Keller says about this passage, he says, by putting, Jesus, by putting a flawed elder brother in this story, Jesus is, is, is inviting us to imagine and yearn for a true elder brother. And here's what's amazing. We have this true elder brother. We have him. We have a better and true one and he's the one that's telling the parable. Because think about it for a moment. We, the kind of elder brother that we need is not one who can clothe us with, with just any kind of clothing kind of robe, but we need one who can clothe us with righteousness, someone who can cover the stupid and foolish and reckless things that we've done. We don't need just an older brother who can pay our monetary debts. We need an elder brother who can pay the debt for our sin that pays the debt for the stupid, reckless things that we've done. And we don't need an elder brother who just can go to a far country and bring us home. We need one who's willing to leave heaven and come to earth to restore us back to God. That's the kind of elder brother that we need. And so that's the elder brother that you and I have. His name is Jesus. For such a long time, I didn't understand this whole idea of why Jesus came to earth or went to a cross. And there's so much more than I can share than I can in the time that we have left. But the idea is this, is that all of us, we've been the younger brother at some point. We've run away from God. And someone has to pay the debt for our sins. There has to be justice that's upheld, just like what Ellie talked about last week. There has to be payment for that debt. And the, our elder brother has come and said, I will pay that debt for you. I will die on a cross for your sins in your place. I will live the life you should have lived. I'll die the death that you deserve so that you can be restored to the relationship with God. That's what Christianity is. And so the question, friends, tonight is which brother are you? And I realize maybe all of you are inclined to say, I'm the, I'm the, elder bro or the younger brother because he looks pretty decent in this story. Even though he, he made a mess of things, he looks pretty decent. But the reality of the story is, it's not just that the younger brother was lost, the elder brother was lost too. It's amazing because even though he lived in close proximity to his father, he didn't understand his father at all. And you, make no mistake, you can live in Christian circles, you can go to Bible study, you can come here every Thursday, you can go to fall retreat, you can go to church every Sunday. You can live in such close proximity to God and yet never know him. And so in this parable, Jesus shows us what's precious to God. Like the ring for my wife, what's precious to God are people. You, 
me, the person sitting next to you, the person that lives next door to you, the person that sits in your class, people that we walk past every day, those are who are precious to God. And he's willing to go to the length of coming to heaven to earth to die for our sins so that we can be restored to relationship with God. And here's what's amazing. In this passage, Jesus, he's calling sinful people to repent of their sin. He's calling religious people to repent of their religion. It's not just sinful people need to stop doing sinful things. You need to stop doing your religious crap and just play this game where being a Christian is just your extracurricular thing that you maybe do to make yourself feel better about yourself. Quit it. You need to turn from that. You're lost. You've missed it. And perhaps the most indicative thing to reflect that is that you care nothing for people, particularly those who are far from God. That's some of what this story is saying, is that because people, particularly lost people, are precious to God, they should be precious to us. And so, friends, if you would call yourself a Christ follower, do you look anything like your true elder brother? Do you look like him? Does your heart reflect his? You know, it's amazing. I think about, uh, gosh, we're so evangelistic by nature. We love evangelizing. And what I mean, that always sounds like spiritual, but it's like, you guys love sharing good news. Like, I love talking to people about the office. Like, we always talk about what we love. You know, when I saw The Dark Knight, blew my freaking mind. I was like going to drag fools straight into the theater with me. Like, you guys got to see this thing. Joker's nuts. And it's not like, it's not like, why did I do that? Because I had a guilty conscience. And so I knew it was what I was about. No, it's because I wanted them to have an amazing experience. We tell people about the things that we love. And yet, for those of you who are Christ followers, do you ever talk about Christ in that way? That you're jealous for people to experience him. And so, so many of us, we agree with the mission and we don't own it for ourselves. But this is part of what God's told us to be part of. This is what we're called to be part of, is reaching people, loving people. And so, this, is, this applies to every single one of you in this room tonight. Whether, again, you would call yourself not a Christian. You, you, you're just feeling things out. So glad that you're here. I hope that this passage gives you an idea. This is God's heart. He is a father that wants to welcome you home. He wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to make right what has been done wrong. I used to think that following Jesus would be the most joyless, like awful, rule-following thing ever, and I never dreamed of finding greater joy and freedom than than the joy and freedom I found when I became and started following Jesus. It was counterintuitive. I'm like, wait, I follow Jesus, and I feel more free and not enslaved? Yeah. Makes sense. If he's the creator, if that's actually real and true, makes sense. And for those of us who are Christ followers, the impact of this passage is clear. Because Jesus, our true outer brother, left heaven to earth to come find us, we should be willing to go find people, care for them, love them, reach out to them. Let me pray. Father, we give you praise and thanks for this passage that Jesus tells us here that gives us such a clear picture of Jesus, who you are, what you're about And God, I pray for those of us who are most identifying with a younger brother. Lord, I pray that you would compel them to return. And I realize they may have tons of questions, and I pray that they just wouldn't sit in those questions, but that they would even press into them, talk to someone about them. And Lord, for those of us who um, 
man, we're tempted just to do the religious, like, extracurricular thing, Lord. Would you break us from that? Help us to see that you love when lost things are found. You love people. They're precious to you. And I pray that our hearts would reflect yours. In Jesus' name, amen.